Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One, and welcome back to another episode of the Box and One podcast. We've got a great guest for us lined up here today to talk about all things at the top of the 2021 NBA draft, some of the best rookies, as well as looking forward to four of his favorite guys ahead of the 2022 draft. And that's Chip Jones, a rising star in NBA Twitter land and a really, really good follow if you're not following him already. Chip, the one question everyone wants to know. How you doing today? I'm doing great, Adam. How about yourself? You know what? Always a good day for me, man. Getting to talk hoops is uh, is great, especially when you come home from a long day of work. Kind of kick your feet up, pop open in ginger ale. I'm a I'm a ginger ale fiend, and and get to chat some hoops here. So, uh, Chip, there, there's one thing that we do to start all of our our podcasts with new guests, and that's ask you kind of a philosophical question, get your mind moving a little bit, think about basketball here. Mm-hmm. You are up three with five seconds to go, and it's the other team's ball. What do you instruct your team to do? Are you a, a fan of fouling? How do you oh, yeah. It? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of fouling. It depends, I guess. I thought about that. Uh, it depends what level I'm at, right? Because like the lower level, the less confident I am that we can get the inbound off without turning the ball over. So like maybe I don't want to get a preemptive inbound and I'd rather take the chance on them not making the, the buzzer beater. But if I'm, if we're talking NBA or like, you know, high major college, I'll, I'll probably foul. I, I think as I've found out, the numbers bear out, it's pretty even. It tends to be a point of, of kind of tendency and a lot of things of that nature, but neither here nor there. One of the big reasons you're here, Chip, is to talk about Cade Cunningham. I know you just put a ton of time, and a lot of effort into a video on Cade for Thinking Basketball, one of the best YouTube channels out there for anything hoops. And I know, fantastic that you're associated with them. But with this big project on Cade, you've watched somebody that for the last year and a half, maybe close to two years, I've thought is a once in a generation type of offensive player, just with how well-rounded he is, all of the things that he can do. And what I appreciated about the video is that it hits on a lot of those minor details, right? It's not just here's how he scores, here are his his spots on the floor, X, Y, Z. It goes into a lot of deep detail. So I just want to open up the floor to you first here with Cade. Like, what is it about him that that makes him so sustainable in the long term as an offensive threat? And, and like, how do you describe his game? Well, I mean, I think the the big thing with Cade that makes him so different from everything else is like, he kind of is looking at like every possession as like a puzzle and he's like a genius level puzzle solver, right? He's just trying to find the solution to, to every different problem. And um, you know, it's, it's really exciting to watch like throughout the year as he's progressed, like the little things he's been picking up on. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, like something stumps him for like maybe three times and then all of a sudden he's picked it up and it's perfect, you know? So I think, I think watching like the, the genius kind of puzzle solving and how his, how his brain works is probably the most special and you know interesting thing about Cade I mean he's six foot eight right and to be a six foot eight lead guard for example and somebody that you can play an offense through and and run everything through him a little bit uh, he's got to have that shiftiness you know to be able to to get past guys and he plays at his own pace I think it was Chris Paul who said that a couple weeks ago after playing against Cade Cunningham right like he's not the fastest not the most athletic guy in the gym but he plays at his own pace and because he's controlled in everything he does, he can make those reads. He can be that genius problem solver because he does just enough to make sure that athletically he's not exposed in a lot of those ways. I think that's a, a really, really unique point. Are, are there other traits that stand out to you about his game that make him just super unique or maybe ahead of where his contemporaries are being a rookie? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that kind of works with both Cade and Scotty, which is so fun this year, is that at high school, you know, they played together for Montverde Academy, one of the most dominant teams ever with Dayron Sharp, Moses Moody, Derek Whitehead, Caleb Houston, completely stacked team, best high school team ever, in my opinion. But that team, like, they got a stop or a turnover, like almost every possession. So they were just permanently playing in transition. And so I think that really shows with Cade and Scotty this year, where like, they're both so far ahead as like transition, you know, break starters, play finishers defensively. They're both phenomenal, like decision makers in transition, like, you know, pre-rotating, stopping the ball, when to go to the rim, when like what pass is coming, how to hedge your bets the best. So I think for me, like one of the things that makes those two and especially Cade like super special is just their transition decision-making is phenomenal. Yeah. 
De- defensively, you know, you met, you mentioned defense there for a quick second. I want to get your take on Kate on that end, because that's for a lot of people who don't think that he's either a leader for rookie of the year or have some questions about him long-term defense is a lot of what I hear. And, you know, after doing this video and, and spending a lot of time on that end, you probably watched, you know, how many games of, of Cade Cunningham's in order to make that happen. What's your take on him defensively? Um, so the one thing I'll say is like a lot of times, like if you just look at like clip by clip on Cade's defense, you can probably find some bad things, but a lot of the times, like when a player is in a defensive context, like Detroit was for most of the season, there's just a lot of breakdowns happening everywhere. And you can't always plug all of those holes. However, like Cade through his development has kind of shifted roles where in high school, he was like at the point of attack a ton of the time, but then with team USA and in college, he was kind of playing as the low man kind of more as like a power forward defensively. So, you know, he has a lot of experience in a lot of different situations. And I think one thing that like a couple things that really stand out is one, like, he's really strong on the interior and he's able to hang with bigger guys. And then on the perimeter, he's not necessarily the quickest, but he has pretty clever footwork and he shifts his hips well, and he takes really smart angles on drivers. So he's able to kind of defend almost like, it's almost like because he's so young, he's only maybe like average or like net neutral, but he's like a net neutral one through five. And that's kind of crazy to see at that young of an age. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the angles and the footwork and, and all those little things, because that's what always jumped out to me about his film at Oklahoma State and thinking that he was going to translate over to being at least a, a fine or slightly above average defender. And, and a lot of guys who are as smart as him are going to be good help defenders. It's just about can you stay in front of your man? What type of positions do you guard? And I think he is versatile in a lot of those ways because of the experience you mentioned playing different positions in high school and in college and with Team USA but he's active, man. Like he's really, really active. He plays hard on that end and he has, you know, 1.2 steals, 0.7 blocks per game right now. Those are incredible numbers for a rookie to put up basically two stocks a game. Uh, He's, he's a much better defender than he gets credit for in my book. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like part of it's just like who he is as a person. He's just like uber competitive. Like he's always trying to win. You know, it's crazy. One of the things we noticed a lot was like, sometimes Detroit would like get the ball up and transition. And like, while he's off ball, he would be like setting up. Like, I think he told Sadiq Bay to like make like a kind of 45 cut to the basket so that Cade could set an exit screen for him to get some shot in the corner, like mid play while like Killian is running some PNR with Isaiah Stewart in transition. And it's like, you don't see 19 year olds just like setting up exit screens off 45 cuts where they're not even the one getting the shot. Like he's just setting up to get another shot that he's not even really involved with other than the screening. And that's just like the competitiveness he has is absurd. And back to the Oklahoma State film, what always stood out to me is that he makes the right basketball play. He was surrounded by some teammates that couldn't make every single shot, you know, short role playmakers that weren't necessarily slinging the ball out to shooters on the perimeter, but he makes the right basketball play every single time. When you put him in a pro environment and the Pistons probably need a little bit more in terms of firepower in order for this to be a truly good team. That type of skill is really going to shine through. And that's where I've been most impressed with seeing how quickly he picks up the nuances of the NBA game, because those are a whole different bunch of actions that you're seeing on a nightly basis. And while a lot of teams run the same thing, you can learn pretty quickly how to anticipate what opponents are doing and where the vulnerabilities are in other defenses. And he's been so, so good at doing those little things, right? Like he, since January 25th, he's averaging 26 and six. insane numbers on their own but it's the how he does it and those little plays that stand out that quite frankly as great of a rookie class as this one is is right now and is going to be for a long long time man nobody else has that type of iq decision making just feel for the game it's it's on an elite level oh yeah it's incredible and i think the one of the big things is like when we were working on the on the video um you know, I, I was waiting for the video to come out to announce that I had like started working with uh, Ben and stuff. And like that video has been in the works for like two months now, but it's like, we were watching all the games and I got all the film and we were talking about it. And it's like, you know, like coming out of the all-star break, we're like, well, they just traded for Marvin Bagley and they are going to get Kelly Olenek back and they're going to get Jeremy Grant back. And it's like, 
he's really making the right plays, but like, it's hard to get like visual examples for that because like, they just aren't being finished because he's just not in a possible circumstance to make something happen. And we were like, as soon as like those post all-star break games came, he just like started flying. Like you mentioned recently, like he's just been so dominant. He really has. And, and I'm glad you brought up Bagley and Olenek and a lot of the changes are in and out of their, their lineup. This is a younger team in a lot of ways. They don't have a ton of experience. You know, Jeremy Grant has been pretty good for them, uh, but Sadiq Bay, pretty good for them. In a lot of ways, it's really Cade and those guys and everybody else that you don't know who to count on on a nightly basis. Moving forward with this roster, thinking about a Cade-centric approach, you know, almost completion of his rookie year, we know how good he's going to be and what type of projectable player he is to build around. What type of roster is best to build around him in terms of positions or skills or certain types of players, maybe even guys that you would have an example of, or long-term, what type of star player might pair best with somebody like Kate? Yeah, I think that was a, that was a really interesting thing for me that I've kind of been messing around with in my like head over the past few months. Like, um, you know, when they made that trade for Marvin Bagley, I think that was kind of specifically like, if you watch, if you've watched Kate through the years, it's really apparent that the lob is his favorite read. Like that's his, he always like, he's so good at finding the angles for those lobs. He loves those. And, you know, playing with Isaiah Stewart, who's not necessarily the most vertically inclined big man, it kind of was, you know, limiting him where he had to make these kind of, you know, manipulating interior low passes because they couldn't play like high, high. Right. And so that was kind of hard for him. So the interesting thing is, now that you let's say you get to the draft and you can draft, you know, Chet or Paolo, you probably still take them. Right. But it's like before you had Bagley, it's like, oh, you get Chet and Paolo. And that's just like the lob threat. And it's kind of the thing I've been toying with is like, OK, if you get Chet or Paolo, what are you doing with Marvin Bagley? Like, do you not do you just like I don't care anymore? Or is it like because I feel like his whole like a large part of why they brought him in was to get a vertical threat for Cade. And I think that's the that's the interesting thing for me is like, are they going to double down and just be like, ah, oh, we'll just get another vertical threat? Because, I mean, I think that definitely can work. So, I mean, the number one thing for me with building around Cade offensively is like getting him shooters and lob threats, right? Yep. Yeah, shooters and lob threats. And to me, they have to make a decision defensively as well about how they view this roster, right? Are they going to envision themselves playing Cade, Sadiq, and if Jeremy Grant stays long term, those two guys, two, three, four? in which case getting a smaller guy who can shoot the basketball a little bit would be really important. If they think going, you know, Cade more at the one in the point of attack or replicating what Boston has done and being bigger one through four, even one through five, and just being switchable. A lot of that depends on who you draft and who you wind up with. Right. So if they, if they get Chet Holmgren in this draft, I would not be surprised if they try to go big across the board. And just yeah, have for sure. another wing shooter and Kate is the de facto point guard. And now you have that almost switch everything type of scheme like we've seen in Boston. Like that's a way to work. The point is there are a lot of ways to do it, but those offensively are definitely the two skills that they, they really need. They need a, a vertical lob threat for Kate and they need more shooters around him. Yeah. I mean, you look at a guy like, even if you can get someone like a John Collins type player where they're able to provide the spacing and be that vertical lob threat, right. Then you get a little bit more dynamic with that. And I mean, this draft class does have a lot of like power forwards that are, you know, volume scoring on offense in both those ways. So, I mean, I think there, you can't really go wrong with that. I wonder, the one thing I will wonder is, you know, moving into like 2022 draft, because obviously the Pistons are going to have a high pick. So that's going to be one way that they're going to be able to bring in maybe their most talented player of the off season. Right. Um, you know, this class doesn't really have a guy towards the top. That's like a, a guard defender slash shooter. And it's kind of not like guard defense. Isn't really the strongest suit of this draft class coming in. So it's interesting. Like, are they going to make a long-term decision of like, we're going to play big because this draft class, they're not able to necessarily get that small guard or are they going to hedge their bets? Are they looking at someone in free agency? So I think that's a really interesting thing to look at moving forward if they like commit based off what the strengths they can get this offseason are. Yeah, just give me more Killian Hayes, man. I want I want Killian Hayes to be good so <laughs> badly. I uh, during during the project, I made an extra folder about Killian Hayes stuff, just clipping because I was enjoying like I really felt like in that period before Grant and Olenek came back that like 
right before the all-star break killian hayes was like their second best player behind kid pretty easily and he's been playing so well recently he's good he's he's finally turning the corner it takes guys some time to figure things out everyone wants to jump off the bandwagon as soon as somebody struggles in their first year or two like it takes time and guess what detroit situation that they're in is okay to continue to let him try to play through that and learn and figure it out now, if he plays three and a half years where he's getting 20, 25, 30 minutes a game and he hasn't, okay, cut ship, like cut bait. But come on, he's he's got plenty of time and he is playing a hell of a lot better lately. So, oh, yeah. Chip, uh, let's let's keep going with this rookie class, though. There's a lot of good guys in there. Cade at the top, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes. That's turning into an elite top four, an elite top four. I want to get your thoughts on some of these guys, but first I want to play a quick superlatives game that's going to maybe color some of the direction that we go on these conversations. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Out of those four, Cade, Jalen, Mobley, or Scotty, who has the highest ceiling? Cade. Out of those four, who do you think will make an all-NBA team first? Cade. Okay. And if you were starting a franchise tomorrow, who would you pick your team around? Cade, but it's tougher, I think. Okay, who? So who would? Who's the other one that you would give consideration to? I I'd probably have in Mobley. I mean, it's hard to deny. I I look at like roster construction, and like I really like like any of them would be good. But I also look at like Scotty Barnes and even Franz Wagner as this kind of like if I just have them, like that doesn't limit me in any direction. And not that Cade or Mobley do, but it's like if you have a guy like Cade or Mobley, it's like you need to, you're, you want to like maximize them and have them be a big part of whatever you're doing. I feel like Scotty and Franz are like super scalable where you can kind of just like scale them down or up based off where you go. And those are really interesting, but like, you know, at some point you can't deny the talent that like Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, Cade have. Yeah. I, look, man, I am just, I have always been such a big Scotty guy and I can't put my finger on where he can continue to get better because he's already gotten so much better in the last nine months than I ever really thought he would be at this point in his career. I, I believe in the kid. Um, I agree with you. I take Cade in all three instances. I think he's just, he's that good, but this is a historic class, right? So right following Cade and some of these conversations have been Evan Mobley, another front runner for rookie of the year. Part of that was because Cleveland got out to a fantastic start to the year. They're still in the playoff picture, but I think they're currently slated at the seven spot in the Eastern Conference, which means that they're just behind um, making a lock to the playoffs, and they're going to have to be on the play-in tournament side of things. But fantastic defensive IQ in a lot of ways similar to Cade. Makes some unbelievable plays on that end, and he scored it a hell of a lot better than I really thought he could. What helps Mobley is being able to play side-by-side with Jared Allen for a large part of the year. And the fact that two bigs not only has worked, but it's blanketed some of the areas that Mobley needs to continue to grow. Um, credit to the Cavs for identifying that. I did not see that coming. Yeah, but uh, he's he's going to be a really special player for a long period of time. Now, what do you think is, is kind of Mobley's ceiling, so to speak, in terms of where he can continue to get to, particularly on the offensive end? Like, is he a guy that can average 20, 25 a game? Is he more of a 18 and 10 while being a dominant defender? What type of play is he going to be a, a great pick and roll partner long-term with Garland or, or is he more of a, you know, do that, do a little bit of everything, facilitate more, need the ball in his hands and some stretches. What, what's your take on Mobley? I mean, I think part of the, part of the like appeal of Mobley is you can go in so many different directions. I, I definitely think he's capable of going to that, like, primary like maybe maybe secondary but like over 20 points a game you know like volume scoring route and I think he definitely can like pass out of that and stuff I think part of it depends on like how they approach like his like physical growth his strength and conditioning right because I think for me like I don't think if Evan Mobley's like primary offensive function is like face up jumpers I don't think he's going to be face up jumpering his way to 25 points a game but you know if he puts on enough weight to kind of you know still be as mobile as he is right but maybe a bit more uh you know he's capable of abusing mismatches a bit easier on the interior because i know i'm a big bulls fan so i've seen all the bulls Cavs game i know javante green has given him some troubles because he can get under his handle and he's not really you know big enough to kind of 
abuse that mismatch physically, like strength wise. Right. So I think, you know, if he's, as long as he continues to put on weight, then like you definitely can go in that way. And also, you know, if he doesn't, he's going to be, you know, one of the best defenders in the NBA for the next decade. Plus he's, you know, so good. And I think one thing that's been really important that I didn't really foresee coming, but I think has been really good in the ways that I'm projecting Chet in a sense, right. Is that big to big passing with Jared Allen just like having, and Larry Markkinen to an extent too, right? Just having that like super tall guy to just like pass over the heads of most defenses. A lot of defenses don't have one seven footer out there, let alone two, right? So just being able to pass over the heads of defenses makes things so much easier for him. He, he's he surprised me a lot with how good he is already on the offensive end. I knew he was going to be a very good defender. I, I think that's pretty low hanging fruit for a lot of scouts and people who watched him play in college, right? He's just, he was always going to be good on that end. Uh, but the offensive stuff has surprised me. Scotty Barnes, really surprised by how well he has really progressed as a as a jump shooter, right? Like this was not something that you could have thought in watching him at Florida State. Now he's just below 30% on the year from three, but he's really comfortable in the mid-range. He's shown flashes of being able to create his own in ways that long-term I thought were going to be there. Definitely not as a rookie. But averaging 15, seven and a half, three and a half assists, being an active defender again, about two stocks a game. He's he's really impactful. And he's actually doing it out of all of these rookie of the year candidates on the best team because Toronto has surpassed Cleveland in the playoff race out in the East. They have more veterans around him, right? For him to be able to get those reps. While Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi are guys that are on the floor with him, shows how good he must be. Uh, I I love Scotty. I think that outside of Mobley, he might have the best defensive potential of a prospect in the last two or three years. Uh, versatile, long-armed, can pressure the basketball on the perimeter. I just... I'm a big Scotty guy and the versatility you mentioned that with him and Franz, like guys that are scalable up or down offensively. That's true, but he can be deployed in any type of way defensively too. I, I love Scotty and I'm curious, were, were you a Scotty guy coming into the draft or were you surprised that Toronto took, took him at four over subs? Uh, I, I wasn't surprised by taking him over subs. I think I kind of, one thing that I learned, like that I looked at, especially with like teams draft history is just like uh guards who aren't like elite elite passers or jump shooters are like super volatile drafting them early so that they hit low end outcomes pretty frequently so i think i was like i felt like scotty or was scotty kind of fits toronto's mantra a bit more and he's like super like he's gonna be solid like good anyway you know not as good as he's been right his floor was like not like this good right but he was gonna be useful you know he's at least big and you can throw him you know on the inside and he's gonna make passes and he can screen right you know you know you have that kind of baseline outcome I think the big thing with Scotty is like he just kind of he's like winning incarnate right he's just always trying to like it's similar to Cade right they're both trying to like any margin every little attention to detail that they can you know inch out winning which is probably, you know, goes back to them playing high school together and probably, you know, being so linked as you, younger players. But I mean, it's just like the attention to detail, like every little cut, every little kind of like interior positioning, fighting to get a rebound and stuff is just incredible with him. He's just so smart and such effort, you know? Yep. He's again, he can thrive right now as the ideal role player. And you can see there's so much more room to grow. Like, I'm not, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot by even bringing this comparison on, but I'm not saying he's going to turn into this level of player, but if he is developed in a similar fashion where he continues to add layers to his game, there is a little bit of a Giannis in here. There, there, there is just with his athletics, athleticism, his handle, his feel, how hard he plays. There's a little bit Giannis there. And I love the fact that the Raptors really took the, the swing on, on grabbing a guy like him. And, and you know what? Two, three years from now, like he may be on the same level of a guy like Cade or a guy like Mobley. He's a half step behind right now. There's no doubt about it. But everyone should recognize the potential that he has to get up on that level. And, no, and then, of sure. course, there's, there's one more rookie in that top four who is turned the corner. You know, there are 
I always say development is not linear and there are light bulb moments that go on and guys just kind of get it. And Jalen green for the Houston Rockets has found it over the last 25, 30 games, right? Since February 1st, he's averaging 19 points a game, shooting 47% from the field and 39% from three on seven and a half attempts per game. Like he's getting them up and he's making them, he's attacking the rim. He just, he put Jakob Pertl in, uh, in an, a not so great position the other night with a hammer of a dunk right on top of him. He's creating for himself. The passing reads, the all those other things are still a work in progress, but he can be a number one scoring option in the NBA. We are seeing that right now. And early on, a lot of narratives were formed about, you know, Mobley and Scotty maybe being better picks at two. I, I don't know. It's again, these are all four so good. They're so good. And Jalen is because he's in Houston and everyone has kind of turned a blind eye to them with the record that they have this yeah. year. It, it goes a lot unnoticed. He has been really freaking good the last month or two. Oh, I mean, it's been phenomenal. I think my favorite Jalen Green thing throughout the season has been like uh, teams just like they, they're they trying to attack him as a perimeter defender. And he's like been very solid as a perimeter. Like it's been super surprising. Like he's been like a honestly like a good perimeter defender, especially the last few months. And it's just really funny to watch teams like try and attack him because they're like, oh, we'll just attack this guy. Because I feel like they maybe don't take the Rockets super seriously, maybe or something along those lines. And they'll just go out there and try and attack him. And he'll just lock down a couple possessions and be like, huh. And then they'll go try to attack other people. And that's been that's been my favorite Jalen Green thing throughout the season to watch that. And like uh, teams have been trying to ice sideball screens like some teams against them. And he just snakes between them every single time. He just obliterates ice coverage, and it's incredible to watch. He's more nuanced as a ball handler, as a pick-and-roll type of player than a lot of people think, right? He's seen a lot as this hyper-athlete who settles for three-point jump shots and doesn't always get to the rim when he should. But his in-between game is pretty solid, whether it's the pull-up jumper or just how he's able to manipulate and maneuver himself. He's got that. I call it slippable quality where it's just is really hard to contain him into a box on the floor. He slips out every single time. And, uh, and it, it's fun to watch chip and any other rookies you want to hit on before we turn the page and talk about some 2022 guys. No, I mean the, the first one I would say is I, I do feel like Franz has been a bit overlooked and like the everyone else ascending. I, I still feel like he's like, even if maybe he's not a top four anymore, I feel like it's, a, it's a top five then. Cause he's like, right there with like maybe not as high but I mean he's been so 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 good and I think like earlier in the season you know Jalen Green got off to that kind of slow start and it was Franz, Scotty, Evan, and Cade that were kind of the guys and I think that that kind of really was interesting because they're all different versions of high field forward size players right and I think it just kind of goes back to the idea of just betting on guys who are big and smart right and can move and it's just like that's kind of a lockdown formula for getting a good NBA player on your team yeah the, I mean there are so many good players in this class right like even in the, the like Sharif Cooper put up 40 something in the G League the other night <laughs> Jalen Johnson is ready to go and those are two guys who slipped in the draft because there were some question marks about some of them Cam Thomas going in the 20s been phenomenal for Brooklyn offensively uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl great great find there as well as Trey Mann for Oklahoma city. Like they, they have dug a yep. lot of great guys out of there, yep. by the way, Josh Giddy. It's been really good. good. Well. Yeah. Now he, uh, Oklahoma city, everyone is injured. They've bubble wrapped everybody for the rest of the season. Uh, but let's, let's talk about Jonathan Kaminga too, right? He's getting yep. starts for the golden yep. warriors. Now that, that he's proven he's going to be in their playoff rotation. Oh he's yeah. Good. I mean, you've got like, you've got like Herb and IO as well as second round picks. Jared yeah. Butler's shown some really good things, even though he hasn't necessarily gotten as much time. And then um, also Dayron going back to another Montverde teammate and Moses Moody have both looked really, really solid. I, I was always a big Dayron guy. My thing with Dayron was like draft Twitter didn't really like him. And I was like, if his name was like Dimitri Sharpich and he was like 70 pounds lighter, they would have, he would have been like number one on people's <laughs> boards. It was just cause like, it's like, this guy is center sized and can like pass and handle and create a bit. And it's like, everyone's like, Oh, well, like X is a number one pick. Cause they're seven foot and they can handle the ball. And it's like, they just have to put on 50 pounds. And it's like, 
I Dayron can kind of handle the ball already has the weight and like people are like, no, he sucks. 40th pick. I, I struck. I will just throw it out there. I struggled evaluating Roy Williams basketball. I yeah, just, that's fair. Guards, bigs, wings. There was no spacing anywhere. And I don't, I don't know how to evaluate all of that. It was just such a different brand those last few years of Carolina. Yeah. So um, I will excuse myself there, but yeah, I was not the biggest thing on shark guy, by the way, shout out Jose Alvarado. Yep, what as a well. story. What a dude. Absolutely. A dude. All right. Well, speaking of under the radar guys like Alvarado, maybe even like uh, Herb Jones, there were four prospects when we were talking about the agenda that we wanted to set here for the podcast that you had in mind for this 2022 class that either aren't receiving enough love, maybe some guys that are more under the radar or just your guys in particular. So the first one here that I'm going to need a little bit of help on just because it's been a while since I've watched the tape on this guy is Usman Dang over there with the New Zealand breakers, horrid start to the season. He has started to piece it together in a little bit of a more efficient fashion, uh, but naturally gifted, right? Six foot eight, six, nine, really fluid ball skills, has a nice looking jump shot. Uh, what is it about Dang that made you really interested and wanted to talk about him today? Yeah, I mean, uh, Usman's been one of my guys all season. I think coming into the season, I was super high on him. He had, I think he had one preseason game in the NBL preseason where he scored like 18 points on one of the best teams in the league. And I was like, if he's just going to do this, like this guy's like a top five pick because he's like a six, nine ball handlers succeeding in a professional league at 18. You know, he's one of the youngest players. People often talk about how Jamari Smith's super young. Usman's a week younger than him. So, I mean, they're similar ages. So he's pretty young for the class. So the thing with Usman is he was horrible to start the season efficiency wise so he was also horrible efficiency wise before he came to australia but i think usman's kind of getting overlooked in terms of like his context being so bad so before he came over from australia he was playing for the pole academy in france um which is an academy youth team playing in a professional league like a u17 team playing in the french third tier uh Going back to like 2012, they've won like 13 of their 200 games. So it's just not necessarily a, a, an environment conducive to productivity. I, I put a poll on Twitter a couple months ago comparing Victor Wembanyama's numbers with them to Usman's and Usman's were slightly better. And I mean, Victor Wembanyama's, you know, super raw, just like Usman, right? But it just wasn't a great context. Then over the summer, he fractured his foot. So he missed the U19 World Cup. And he was coming into the season off a fractured foot. And also he's playing for the New Zealand breakers. And during the COVID thing, they can't go back from New Zealand, to Australia. So they're playing exclusively home or road games playing out of hotels. Um, and then right as the season started, uh, two of their three best players have been hurt the entire season. Like it's been rotating, which two, but they've never had all three at the same time. Then the week before the season starts, they had to have their last preseason game canceled because they had a COVID outbreak. Their coach nearly died. He was in the ICU. Um, came into the season, half the team had COVID. So they've been playing exclusively road games while recovering from COVID with all their players hurt coming off a broken foot from a team that's won 12 games in 10 years. So, I mean, I feel like, yes, he's been slightly inefficient. However, he maybe hasn't been put in a phenomenal position to be efficient. Yep. But that has finally changed. I, I said for a while, I will only grade Usman Jang based off, well, not only, but mainly off the second half of the season. And we've come to the second half of the season. And I think in like the last 12, 14 games, not 14, like eight or nine, maybe 10 games, he's averaging like 11 points a game in a pro league on like 50% shooting from the field, which mm -hmm. is very good. And I think one thing, like the first thing is like uh, New Zealand breakers, Dan Shamir, their coach, dude is like an offensive genius. Their offense is just so phenomenal. The different rips they put into different sets and they just put them in such great positions to succeed. So the case with Usman is... Six nine ball handler, seven foot wingspan, super fluid athlete. And I think the thing that really stood out to me that made me so interested immediately is, you know, when you think of like athletic, like you think of like burst and, you know, verticality, Usman doesn't really have those things, but he has things like body control and change of direction and deceleration super, super down so well. You know, one of his best things is when he's operating with ball screens, he'll go around it one way. So his defender has to try and navigate the screen and immediately switch the other way and take a super tight angle to the rim. And it's just phenomenal to watch a dude at six, nine at 18, do this against pro players. 
So, I mean, it's like the underlying athletic traits make him stand out. I think as the kids would call him being smooth with it. I, if, I think I have that correctly. I'm not, I'm not young and hip as I used to be, but he's, he's got a ton of upside, man. I, like Mike Schmitz was always big on him and that, I, I trust him a ton with a lot of international evaluation and at least getting guys on radars. As I dove in, I was a big fan. I mean, preseason, you said he had top five upside. I had him as kind of a, a mid-first type of pick. And the start of the season, as it does with a lot of people, leaves an impression in your head that is sometimes going to frame the context of how you view that prospect every other time you look at them. Those first impressions, you're looking for confirmation bias. Anchoring bias, yeah, as the you uh, anchor to the original, yeah, yep, yep. So, I I struggle with Dang on. I want to see the upside because I really believe in those raw tools. I think that there is a long, fluid score, almost more like a Paul George ish, like dependent on the the jump shot, but can get to the rim when he needs to, uh, type of fluidity to him. But he needs a lot of work, both physically and learning how to harness every single tool that he has, uh, he's, he's going to require patience. And I don't know if he's still a first round pick or at least is going to be perceived as that this year. But what I, I do believe is that if a team does invest in him, he can be a really good uh, high upside swing in that first round area. If you're willing to put two, three years into developing, mm-hmm. G League, letting his body work, let him get those on ball reps somewhere so that that's his role when he comes in the NBA. Like it's not going to be a positive development situation for him if he's drafted by somebody that says, hey, let's play you eight to 12 minutes a game early, but you're going to be spotting up and you've got to learn to attack closeouts. And by the way, we're playing this intricate defensive scheme where you're going to have to guard, uh, you know, LeBron James for a couple of possessions or, you're, you know, let's just go in here and use your link. No, that's that's not his game. He needs to be an offensive focal point to see how high that ceiling is. Yeah, I think I think what you've so you mentioned that you haven't been watching much recently. That's I think been the biggest change with Usman is it's like before, like I totally agree. It was like if you're if you like Usman as a prospect, it's because you think this guy can run an offense as a six nine ball handler. And I think like recently, like it's just changed completely to the point where like he's actually like a basketball player now. Like he's playing good defense and like attacking closeouts, like you mentioned, and like making connective passing and spacing the floor because his catch and shoot jumper, they, uh, they changed a couple things. He had this weird thing with his guide hand where it was almost like he's saluting. Like it was like super out wide. They've fixed that, bringing that in a bit more. They've fixed the way like he's dipping and generating power. Cause obviously he's a bit thinner. Um, so, I mean, his jumper has improved a lot and like looking through the games, right? Like I mentioned, you know, the last couple of games, he had nine points on 40% shooting, seven on 40%, 14 on 42%, 17 on 8, 40%, 17 on 43, 13 and 75%, uh, eight, five, 11, most recent game, 11 on 57%, and then 20 on 50% in his last two games. And one thing that's really important to know about some of those numbers, the NBL and a lot of these European or international leagues don't play guys really heavy minutes, no. right? There are not a ton of guys that are playing 30, 35 minutes it's a lot more of balance of eight or nine guys in the twenties and to put up 11 or 12 points in a game is the equivalent to what you might see of 17, 18 on a, you know, on an NBA or even a college court. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, one of the big things with Usman is like, not only has he kind of come around as this like, uh, you know, more well-rounded basketball player to the point where maybe you can look at him, you know, I I've kind of always, I'm not a big comparisons guy, but I've kind of had this thing in my head with like the, the context being not super well. And like the lanky kind of has that like scoring upside, but can also to Zaire Williams, who's been really good for the Grizzlies this year, kind of as like, Hey, this guy's tall and he's got this upside, but he's also, you know, big and he's, you know, a smart player and we can just play him 25 minutes a night and he's going to be good for us. Right. And I think that's kind of one thing that's really boosted Usman in my opinion, to the point where it's like, I think coming into the season, a lot of people had him as like a lotto guy because he was just this kind of mysterious ball handling, tall, toolsy guy. I think he's kind of going to make a late push to get towards that. And I think certain NBA teams, kind of like how Josh Primo, like the, the Thunder wanted to move up to get him and the, the Spurs couldn't move down because the Thunder were going to take him. I think that some teams are going to fall in love with him as a player. And I think one of the big things that's important to keep in mind is you mentioned like the getting to the rim stuff. 
one of the biggest issues for Usman has always been because I kind of obsessed with them. I've watched like 30 games going back to like U16 <laughs> FIBA or Euro championship stuff. Um, he like he's always had this issue with reading and countering second level defenders. And something that's really important to keep in mind is they don't have defensive three second violations in Europe and Australia. So there's just a dude sitting in the paint and he's bad at reading second level defenders. And there's just always one sitting directly under the basket. So that's kind of exacerbated those issues, right? Is he still trying to really dip and scoop around a lot of these guys? Is he? He's fixed. He's fixed a lot of that. He's got actual counters. So he, the first thing they did like that, like popped up um, when his scoring kind of bumped, it kind of coincided with him adding this floater to his game where he's just floating before he gets these second level defenders. And then recently he's been using the Euro step to get around them. And also he's been kind of embracing his shiftiness and I think I posted a clip on Twitter that I think you liked where he kind of, you know, is probing in, then coming back out and pulling defenders and just getting around them. So, I mean, just like the, you know, it's been so fun watching every game. I think like if, you know, the NBL uploads all the games on YouTube, you can watch them on their YouTube page for free, full game streams. No, it's a great product. It's really good. Um, like if you watch Usman's games in order, just like every game, there's something new he's added. And it's like every game, there's a different second level counter he's trying and he's just becoming so much more confident. And it's just night and day, the player we saw at the beginning of the year. I'm going to have to watch a lot more of that soon. I know I'm bogged down and trying to get a lot of these scattering reports up, but Dang has been one guy I'm I'm like, I I know I need to watch him. I know Mm -hmm. I'm so intrigued by the raw tools there. And I know that he started to play better. I just want to see how much better that is and what that might mean for draft stock. Um, I'm going to guess that you have a little bit of a type chip. And a little bit of that means bigger guys who have really good feel. And the next guy is kind of the epitome of that. And Alondas Williams from Wake Forest transferred there from Oklahoma and really popped. Got them right on the cusp of the NCAA tournament. Had a fantastic season in the ACC. Uh, Just a life is a box of chocolates type of player, right? You never know what you're going to get. He can make some highlight plays and dunks, some incredible passes, or make some really overambitious decisions on the floor. Um, but he is one of those guys who, like you say, toolsy is a word to describe him. And just a, a fun player to, to kind of put the ball in his hands and let go. Where do you see his NBA role kind of being? And what is it that makes you believe that he's somebody worth talking about even more as we get closer to the draft? Well, I mean, I think that's part of the the appeal with Alondas is there's like a lot of different directions you can go to make him as an NBA player. I can see him playing as kind of more of a combo guard, you know, uh, you know, he can have that combo guard, like, Oh, go create your own shot thing. He's definitely good at that. I think coming into the tournament, he was second in the nation in unassisted rim attempts out of anyone in the country and doing that in a power five school. I think he was behind only Darren Sebron from NC state. Um, so, I mean, he was getting to the rim on his own, Uh, you know, he's able to create separation, get past first level defenders, get past second ones and finishing really well at the rim. I think he was above the 80th percentile in terms of shooting at the rim in the half court. And then I think you also can go because Alonda is like six, five, maybe six, five and a half. I think you can go in the big college point guard, not good enough to play point guard in the NBA. You're a pass dribble shoot wing um, type of venue. And then I also do kind of believe that he can go in the point guard route, not in the like this is a point guard who runs the offense route, like is our number one guy, but in the, this is a point guard who can run our offense in spurts, even though we have a star wing initiator probably, or a big like Jokic or something. Right. Yeah. I, I struggle with him point of attack defensively if he's playing more of the one. And again, Mm -hmm. I won't take that away from you if that's something you want to talk about a little bit later, but you you know, you mentioned how good of a finisher he is around the basket. Uh, Williams has a 30% three-point attempt rate, which means that 30% of his attempts, his field goal attempts, come from three. He is only a 28% three-point shooter, which is not very good. And another another kind of reason why he's not seen as a mainstream first-round prospect. But he still shot 50% from the field. Do you know how good you have to be from two-point range in order to get there? Yeah, he was above 60%. It's outstanding for a guy who's playing a lot out of the pick and roll and, and one of the lead, you know, scorers on his team. And he averaged 18 and a half points a game for Wake Forest. Incredibly efficient near the basket. 
And at 6'5", whether he's a guard, a wing, whatever you want to call him, he's going to be able to get to the basket because he's strong and athletic enough. He's going to be able to finish there, and he's a fantastic passer. Again, five assists a game for Wake Forest in the ACC. Uh, he's He's got legitimate appeal as being one of those guys that someone falls in love with in the later parts of the first round, and you're like, you know what? Good for them because this I definitely see the upside there. Yeah, I mean, I think another big thing to talk about with like the finishing at the rim and the shooting, the three-point shooting is not there, but he did take a lot of pull-up twos. He was 28 for 58 on pull-up twos this season, and that was kind of a reliable thing he can go into where he's nearly 50% on these long twos. So he is he's still like, you know, spacing the court kind of. He's not like a complete non-shooter. But then the one thing you touched on that was big, I think, was the the defense. And that's kind of been the big thing that's like flipped with me, the Londas. I, I did a video on him. So I watched like maybe like 10, 12 games. He had this really weird thing where you see a lot of point of attack defenders who are like bad or good point of attack defenders, but can't navigate screens. Alondas is like a bad point of attack defender, but he's so good at getting around screens somehow. And it's like this really weird underlying trait. And like, if you watch his recent games, it's like impossible to not notice because he'll just randomly navigate his screen super well. And he's actually been taking pretty good angles recently. I actually think he's been a positive defender, which is insane because this guy basically never played his entire college career. He basically was never a, a guy who played ever, right? And then he comes to Wake Forest. Not only is he a dominating scorer, but early in the season, they were like actively doing whatever they can to get him off ball defensively. Like they would literally live dribble, leave someone open to like bring a guy to go switch and be like, go to the corner. And now all of a sudden, like he's actually been pretty solid defensively for like the second half of the season to the point where like, he's not like phenomenal, but like he's been like a serviceable point of attack defender who shows really good screen navigation stuff. And like that, gives a lot of hope for like, Hey, maybe this guy could be a really good point of attack defender. Cause you know, that's screen navigation. That's not a common trait you find all over the place. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. And it's an important one, especially if you're going to, you're going to be, you know, playing the one a little bit more, having the ball in your hands on one end typically means you're going to guard guys who have the ball in their hands on the other. So um, you think Williams is a first round guy? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty confident that. Well, I'm all about segues here and making things clean for us. So we're going to go from one Williams to another. Vince Williams, uh, somebody that I need a little bit of, of convincing to really buy into. Uh, okay. Give, give me your pitch here with Vince. Uh, so my pitch with Vince is kind of coming into this. Like, I think Vince, like the, the overarching thought I have with him is he's kind of like a glass ceiling player. Um, you know, I feel like every year, you know, there's these role players that like project is like, oh, this guy's a perfect role player. And we just kind of throw the ceiling of like, oh, yeah, they're good, but they're a role player. You know, we saw it with Desmond Bain with Tyrese Halliburton, and they've kind of emerged as more than that. I think Vince kind of fits in that realm to an extent, right? So if you look at his numbers from A10 play onwards, so conference play onwards, I think he's, you know, just completely filling up the stat sheets. Um, so from conference play and postseason play, because they made the NIT, um, he was averaging 16 points, 6.2 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 1.6 steals, one block, uh, shot 65.9% on two-point field goals, 43.8% on threes, and 85% from the line. So, I mean, he's just been a hyper-efficient three-level scorer who's a stock machine that VCU have a really weird roster where they lost Bones, who was their initiator, and they don't have any centers. Their tallest player is 6'9". Vince played center a lot of the time and defensively. Um, so, I mean, they just kind of were like, hey, you were a 3 and D wing for us the last three years. You're our offensive initiator. And he, for a while, it took him a bit to like get going. But when he started getting going, he's figured things out. And all of a sudden, you know, he's create. It's almost like he doesn't necessarily create advantages, but he's like a, a wizard. You know, he's constantly throwing misdirection and no one knows where he's, he's always looking off and making these fakes and stuff. He's like baiting the defense into committing mistakes and then punishing them for it. Mm -hmm. He's definitely a high field guy. And I've viewed him for a long time in the context of being more of a defensive stopper, right? Like his, his meal ticket is going to be the defensive versatility, how active he is, just a really good feel on that end of the floor. He can score it, um, but it's a little bit more of that traditional three and D type of mold. I, I think he's a good passer. Do you think that he's a good passer in the context of being a connective tissue type of player? Or do you think he's more of a, let's take the next step and put the ball in his hands and let him create some opportunities at an NBA type of scene? Uh, I think both. 
I think that's part of the part of the appeal is that he can do that at times if you need. And he also can, you know, operate like as a connective passer. And I think he also, especially with like second side actions, I really think he can, he can run those. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm very much Vince pilled. Um, he, he had some absurd queries that I'm trying to find. I think one of the most interesting things is like, what I've been kind of feeling and like leaning into this year is that like uh, a lot of draft stuff can be like stats first film second kind of where it's like you find a guy who statistically stands out. And then if the film backs it up, that's the thing. Um, he had some queries where it was like you, cause he has this assist percentage and like these dunks and like pull up jumpers. He'll query with like some of the best point guards that have come out of the draft. And then he also, because of like his block and steal rates and his like three point volume, he'll also query with some of the best wings that come out. I'm trying to find them right now. I think you could set some filter with like steel block, three point volume, three point percentage and assists. And he comes up with, I think it was, um, I'm trying to, it was Courtney Lee, uh, Clay Thompson, Paul George, Vince Williams. That was the only, if you filtered it, that was the only four that came up. And then you can also filter him under like assists and dunks to find point guard, like bigger point guards. And he comes up with like Lonzo ball. Um, I think, oh, who is Saban Lee, I think came up and it. it was like Lonzo ball, Saban Lee, Vince Williams, and some other like career NBA point guard. That's like more towards Lonzo's tier. So, I mean, I think when you have a guy that comes up in both of those kind of realms, that's like good enough to look like try and look into the film. And when you watch the film, it's, it's really interesting. I'm actually, so my thing with Vince is I'm completely flipped from where people are. Cause like you said, with the three and D thing, I actually think his defense kind of sucks. Like really? he's a good off ball defender, but on ball, he's like a yeah. bit of an old man, like on ball. I don't think, I don't really like his on ball stuff. He was asked to play center at times. So it's like, uh, he, he like completely got abused and mismatches. He's not a good post defender. He's not like super quick staying in front of guards. He's like fine, but I don't think he's great. And I think it needs work off ball. Really, really good. Super smart event creator yeah. and stuff. I'm actually in on the offensive stuff. I think his offensive game right now looks a lot like uh, if Desmond Bain didn't have a step back. Okay. And yeah. I think that like with the, you know, he's like over 50% of floaters, over 80% on free throws, two years in a row, over 38% on super high volume threes. And like his pull up threes in the last two years, he hasn't taken a hard, like large volume, but he's like 18 of 45 or something. So he's like yeah. 40% on those. And it's kind of like, watching him shoot he's able to you know change his motion and like alter for different windows and it's just like kind of like if i draft this guy he'll probably be a solid three and d guy but like if he can figure out the step back that really just opens up everything offensively and all of a sudden i think he can be you know some guys averaging like 16 17 a game in the nba is like a third scorer yeah i certainly agree on the defensive side like i totally excuse the post defense and him yeah. having garbage that's just that's not a role he's gonna have to fill NBA teams are smart enough to identify that right away. I don't hold that against him. Definitely a much better off-ball defender than yeah. on-ball one. But I also think that nothing motivates you to guard like going against NBA guys a little bit. And uh, and I think that he's got some upside to be solid on that end, but a, a great help defender and super active. Um, you should you should go into sales, man, because this is uh, this was a successful pitch for me. I'm definitely considering him a lot more as kind of a top 40, top 45 guy than I was 10 minutes ago. So I have him 12th. So, Whoa. I, I genuinely think he's going to score 16 points a game in the NBA. I'm so like of, super convinced. I am. I am astonished. Okay. So of these three guys, where do you have them really on your board or in your take right now that we've talked about so far with Dang, with Alondis and with Vince is Vince your highest one of those three? Uh, sort of, I, I don't really have Usman ranked. I'm waiting till the end of the season to rank him. He's kind of like off to the side, but like, if he keeps playing like he has recently, where he's scoring over 10, like, you know, 15 points a game on 50% shooting in a pro league, he's definitely going to go higher than 12 at six, nine and 18. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I've, I don't, I don't do like super, like I don't post boards or anything, but I definitely have Vince as a lotto guy. And I have Tari and Alondez. I have Tari pretty close to that. And then I have Alondez as a first round guy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm like very much in on Vince. Like his, like the places he like queries with and like, he's at least the three and D like a really good three and D guy to me. I don't like the on ball stuff's not as good, but I'm a big believer in like on ball defense is a learned skill off ball defense is kind of, you can't really learn that to yeah. an extent. Yeah. yeah. So, and also like his shot, like diet, it's like a lot of like pins and curls. Like he's shooting off movement a ton. Yeah. 
yeah, v- VCU runs some pretty good stuff. Yeah, uh, for sure. For sure. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. You, you mentioned the fourth guy, the final that we'll talk about here before we, we get you out for the night. Tari Eason, LSU, uh, transferred there from Cincinnati, super productive sophomore year, another big wing, another guy with unique feel and aspects to his game, another guy who's super active statistically as well as defensively. Uh, give us the pitch on Eason again, because I'm just going to turn it over to the ultimate salesman, Chip Jones. What do we got? So my my Tari's still a work in progress. So I'm I'm working on for my for my own channel. My first scouting report video for the draft season is going to be Tari. Um, so I'm I'm still a work in progress in that. I've watched like six LSU games and like one and a half high school games, and I haven't checked any of the Cincinnati stuff yet. So I just have questions to answer. But I, I'm definitely like all over the place with Tari. I think, um, you know, he's like six eight, like two. 20 maybe 230 he's he's pretty strong he's definitely very strong um i'm not sure on his wingspan i've seen i've seen anywhere from six nine to seven three like literally every inch increment between those on different sites so i have no idea how long his arms are um the thing with tari is like defensively he's just like he even like in rebounding and defense, he's got like a nose for the ball. He's one of those guys who's just always getting his hand on the ball. And like one thing that really stands out to me is like drivers will like drive past him. I have like four or five clips of this. A driver will like, he's like not, not like on ball. He's not getting burnt. Right. He's like that, like a helper. And he like does some little stunt where he reaches his arm out. And if he gets his hand on the ball, the drivers just stop. Like they've run into like a cement, like he'll literally with one hand on the ball, will just stop a full speed college athlete driving just because he's like got his hand on the ball and they just get like yanked back by that. And like his strength is insane. And I think the the thing with Tari for me is like, for everyone is like, he's super athletic. He is a pretty good shooter. It's a little questionable, but like the free throw percentage is really good. And he's brought it up to like 35% on like not super high volume on the season. It's but gotten then, a lot better. Yeah. A lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's kind of like his ability to get to spots. It's like he's creating open looks. He's not making them, but he's creating them. And that's the harder part. Making them is like the, you know, the easier part to learn. Right. Yeah. I, I uh, I'm a big fan of Tari. A big fan of him. And and again, a lot of these guys have been more defensive minded for me. Like that's where I was with Vince. I think that's where I am with Tari. Um, really good slasher when he gets downhill going to his right hand and really good shooter as he's, as the season has gotten along and, and started to, to I think he was finished the year in his last eight or nine games being about 40% from three. Yeah. But I hate having to use qualifying statements for a guy that I would consider with a lottery pick. And those are a lot of qualifying statements better as the year got on, right? Good. Go into his right hand, solid passer. If the floor has X, Y, or Z around him specifically, like there's a really, really toolsy player in here and a very versatile and helpful defender who was and by my measure, the linchpin of one of the best defenses in the country this past year. But if I'm going to trust him to do anything on offense, I'm going to need to know exactly what his role is going to be. Is he going to be able to space the floor spot up and knock down threes? Is he able to go off the bounce and actually get back to his left hand? Because guess what? Every time he was forced left, he tried to spin back to his right. It, it, I'm a coach. It bothers me. I can't, I can't tone that down enough. Naturally, he can get to spots. You're right. But what does he do with it when he's there? He's got to prove enough that I would want to invest in him if I'm an NBA general manager. And really knowing where to make that investment is kind of the tougher part for me. I think he's a first-round talent. You don't find athletes like this who are that active defensively and have shown glimpses on the, on the offensive end the way that Eason has. Is he a lottery guy? Is he more of a you know back end of the teams? This is a safer option to play or is he even a guy in the 20s i've seen people that have him in their top five or six <laughs> seen a lot of those guys there's a lot to love about guys who are tools that you can do this i'm just i'm not there yet no, <laughs> it's wild. and part of the reason i'm not there i've been saying this for a while i don't think this draft class is as weak as it was initially you know thrown out to be um, whether it's guys that, you know, you might be a really big Vince Williams fan or, or Usman Dang and just have somebody, one or two guys that you start to propel up your draft board. I think there's a really solid top 10 in here, a really, really solid top 10 that stacks up well with almost every other year. After you get outside of that, 
I probably don't have that much of a problem with taking Tari Eason in that no. range with a later lottery pick with a, somebody in the teens and saying, you know what, let's just roll the dice on him because he's still young enough and he's going to be a good defender to the point where, yeah, why not? No, I mean, it's definitely really interesting. I, I'm still like, I'm still mid Tari reads. So I reserve the right to change anything I've said about Tari Eason or will say about Tari Eason sure. on that podcast. I, I kind of, I, I, I understand the people who have them like top five. Like I can see what they're seeing. I don't agree with it, but I see it. Yeah. And then the other, on the other hand, I'm like, okay, he shoots a super low volume of threes at like 35%. So like, there's a chance he comes to the NBA and the shots just not falling. Mm-hmm. And like, in terms of his passing, I think he's a bad passer who yeah. like has flashes of being good. Like he misses a ton of open stuff. And then at the same time, a lot of the stuff that he is making correct, he's like, it's like two dribbles after it should have been like, it should have been made like immediately. And like, it'll take him like, I think his processing speed maybe isn't necessarily there as a passer yet. So, I mean, I see a guy who it's like, okay, he plays an LSU who like full court press every single possession, like full blitz, full court. That's not what an NBA defense is going to be like. Most likely he's shooting 35% on a low volume. So his shot might not fall right when he gets there. And he's not necessarily at the best percentage at the rim in the half court. And he's not really like, I see a pathway where he's just straight up, not an NBA player. And like, I don't think that's going to happen, but like, he's by no means like a safe pick, I guess. No, he's not. No. The only thing that makes him somewhat safe is, Hey, go in and guard that guy. Right. And he, and he can do that. But at some point, if you're drafting in the lottery,